Welcome to Dividing Lines, a series of special programs from the Near Futurist, where we will be bringing together respected innovators and thinkers to examine some of the most consequential debates in technology and society today. Dividing Lines is powered by Diffusion, an award-winning international PR agency on a mission to help tech innovators to take on the status quo and transform the future faster. My name is Guy Clapperton. And if you wanted to feedback on the podcast or maybe even suggest ideas for guests and topics, I'd love to meet you in the shiny LinkedIn group I set up. Just search for my name and Near Futurist on LinkedIn and you'll find it pretty easily. Now, I have a particular interest in the topic of this edition. First, I've been a home worker since going freelance in 1993, which, for the mathematically challenged, is almost three decades ago. Second, in 2014, I was co-writer of a book called The Smarter Working Manifesto that covered what we would now call flexible working. So, as you can imagine, I was well-placed to adapt during the pandemic, but this was entirely different from working from home voluntarily. And recently, the gloss of working from home has started to fall off for a lot of people. Now, it's tempting to blame Elon Musk for dictating that all Twitter employees must now work from the office, or Lord Alan Sugar for tweeting about what a bunch of Skyvers home workers are, for the fact that it's become so controversial. However, it was an issue before then. So in this debate, I have two guests who take nuanced but non-aligned views. In the pro-working-from-the-office corner, we have Professor Christoph Seemroff, a microeconomist and associate professor at the University of Essex. And broadly, in the pro-flexible-working corner, it's returning guest, Dr. Nicola Millard, Principal Innovation Partner for BT Digital Solutions. Welcome to both of you. Thank you very much, Guy. Good to be here again. Thank you. Excellent. Well, perhaps we could start uh, off with the basics. Uh, Christoph, I've drawn a terribly crude picture of your view on office-based working. Could you tell us a bit more about what you actually think? So I would like to start just to fix ideas. I think there are two extremes. There's on the one hand, work from the office, which most firms did before the pandemic. You know, all the employees were expected to come to the office in the morning and leave in the evening. And then the other extreme, uh, which basically happened at the beginning of the pandemic was everybody was working from home. And so in between, you know, flexible working could be somewhere in between, but these are sort of the two extremes we could uh, contrast. And so at the start of the pandemic, I think a lot of people and especially a lot of firms asked, are employees more or less productive working from home? This question became even more important after the pandemic, after the vaccines were introduced, and then people were talking about, could we bring employees back? And, employ- and productivity is a, an important concept for economists. And just to, for the record, it's it's defined as how much output is being generated by the employee per unit of time. And, you know, because the day has 24 hours and the working day has roughly eight hours, we usually think of time as being fixed. And so the only way that we can generate more output or more welfare is basically by becoming more productive. And so that's why productivity is important. And it's also important to ask our people more productive or employees more productive when they work from home compared to when they work from the office. And my conclusion from the economic literature at the moment is that for some simpler jobs, work from home can in fact improve productivity. So it's a good thing, but this doesn't apply to all jobs. And in fact, our our own research has basically shown that for more complex and uh, for team-based jobs, uh, work from home can actually decrease productivity. So employees get less done when they work. 
Okay, uh, so this is all about uh, economics, is it? Because a lot of people are talking about things like quality of life and uh, more time with the family. Uh, that is that because you're an economist? It's not just not part of your professional view, or what is your perspective on that? It is correct. We're first and foremost looking at uh, how much value do employees generate for the firm. The thing is, when we when we looked at the research and. Uh, looked at how well people are working from home. Let me maybe maybe briefly uh, explain what the study did. So we looked at a large IT firm and we were able to follow employees before the pandemic when they were all working from the office and some analytics software in the background basically was tracking how long they were working and how much they got done. And then of course the pandemic started and they all worked from home and that same software tracked how long they were working every day and how much they got done. And what we found is indeed that for these IT workers, you know, these are mostly programmers who work in large teams and they have to coordinate so that they can keep those corporate products uh, in shape. Productivity for these employees decreased by about 15%. So in other words, in a given hour of work, they got 15% less done. Why was that? What we found is that if we look at it the entire month, uh, the employees actually still reached their goals. It's just that they had to work per day a bit more than an hour longer to actually reach their goals. And now you can phrase it like I do as, you know, productivity drop, but you mentioned, you know, work-life balance and so on. The other way of looking at it is that, well, if employees in these jobs, when they work from home, if they want to keep reaching their goals, well, then they have to work longer. And that is obviously also something that's not so great for uh, work-life balance. So it is not at all clear that these things are going in opposite directions. When I say that, you know, work from home can can decrease productivity, it, it, it also could mean that it might also decrease time that is left for other things in life, which hopefully improve well-being and mental health and so on. This is making a lot of sense to me. I'm just wondering, uh, were these figures entirely from the pandemic uh, year or years? Uh, because uh, I would imagine that uh, the pressure of uh, suddenly having to face the fact there's an international pandemic out there would also have an impact on productivity. That's a good point. Uh, so what we compared is basically about two years before the pandemic and then about the first half year of work from the office. Of course, we 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 use you know fancy statistical methods and so on in order to uh, get rid of the effects of other things. The pandemic worked in stages. There were different waves, and the effects we find were really due to uh, the work from home, and not so much due to you know during some months uh, things were restricted more, whereas during other months it was less restrictive due to how the pandemic was going. So we could really isolate it based on the work from home effect, and not so much on the uh, pandemic effect. Thank you for clarifying that. Uh, Nicola, I don't uh, imagine this sounds completely unreasonable to you. It certainly doesn't to me, but it's not time to me to put words into your mouth. Where would you actually differ on uh, what Christos just said? I think a lot of the discussion actually that we've been having has been about the work itself rather than where the work goes on, because actually it's the work that's important. And uh, I think if you can figure out where work is done, who's doing the work and the dynamics of the team that potentially they're in, actually where they should work probably should drop out at the bottom. So I, I kind of preface it by saying I think we're having probably slightly the wrong discussion um, because I, I think a lot of the stuff that I'm doing, certainly about the future of work, is trying to understand how we can make work better 
for sure for productivity because that's one very big uh, thing but also for people and also for the planet um on the productivity stuff i think uh, again it comes down to who's doing the work and what work are they doing because generally for example the studies that nick bloom has been doing over at stanford um is showing that generally work from home can increase productivity by about five percent on the research that they've done also there's the other sort of proposition around why employees want to have the job in the first place other than obviously the salary um uh Certainly, uh, Nick's research has shown that employees value work from home about the same as a 5% pay rise. So actually, salary could be kind of, um, uh, I guess, traded a little bit for flexibility. Also, I mean, I think more widely and strategically, employers are having to think really carefully because in many industries, there are skills shortages. We're going to see how the recession, the global recession impacts on this. But if you ask people what they're looking for in a job, frequently they will say flexibility. And that does not mean five days at home. Neither does it mean five days in the office. Probably it's somewhere in between. But actually, they want a choice as to where, when and how they work. And a lot of that's down to autonomy. A lot of that's down to things like trust. But that's the number one thing that, that employees are saying, certainly in our research. Um, we, we've seen that. So I know LinkedIn also published some research saying that if you advertise a job with some kind of hybridity or flexibility in the job description, you're 40 percent more likely to get people applying for those jobs. So I think, you know, above and beyond productivity. And I think that's a discussion as to what you are doing, because certainly the stuff that uh, that we've done and that many other um, research projects, including the Nick Bloom stuff, is showing that people are feeling as if they are more productive if they are able to work in a much more flexible way. And not everyone is either. So frequently the ones that are the privileged ones that can work from home or work from an office or work somewhere in between are knowledge workers. And actually that throws up a big question around the productivity stuff we've been talking about. So you can measure how many lines of code an IT person has produced. Similarly, contact centres, you can figure out how many calls they've taken and how efficient those calls were. Um, but we're taking kind of a factory model, I guess, of productivity here. And most knowledge workers have a lot less tangible output. <laughs> um, so I think even on productivity, people are feeling more productive, mainly because they're not having to commute. And I think it's the commute that no one has missed not commuting. Um, people are willing to do commutes, but maybe not five days a week because they feel as if they're not being productive or at least they're sucking a lot of energy out of the day. But, you know, I think that perception of productivity is quite key amongst knowledge workers who are largely incredibly difficult to measure. So, yeah, I think from, from the sort of people and productivity perspective that we're looking at, I think actually it's less about home working. It's less about office working. It's about offering choices within reason. So depending on the individual, depending on the task that they're doing and to, depending on the team dynamics to provide some flexibility as to where people work. Do you want to sound as confident as my interviewee in this episode? If you talk to the press or other media, are you worried you'll be misquoted, or they'll just publish their story and not yours? Clapperton Media Associates can help with coaching. Drop me a note, guy at clapperton.co.uk, and we'll arrange a time for an exploratory call. Now, back to the podcast.
The interesting thing to me is I was uh, media training someone only last week who confessed to me that they thought people should work together and they should be in the office. However, they felt, because I was helping them with their messaging, etc., they felt they couldn't or shouldn't express that view out loud. I'm just wondering uh, whether either of you, let's start with Nicola, have come across people feeling they shouldn't make declarations like that, um, just because the pendulum seems to have swung so far towards, let's call it flexible working. I don't know if I've heard, I've kind of almost heard the opposite because there's there's this thing around flex shaming that uh, uh, that someone coined that phrase around um, if you were working in a flexible role, perhaps you were being bypassed for promotion or you'll get a worse appraisal if you're not seen to be in the office. That's linked into a lot of the work that we've been doing around proximity biases, which are, of course, natural unconscious biases around how we, our tribal brain evolved to um, really kind of relate to people that we see on a very regular basis. And indeed, that is a case for the office. Uh, I think in terms of uh, if you're looking at hybrid working, one of the big questions is what, what are offices for? And actually for collaboration, for communication and for creating community, they are the kind of the gold standard. Now, we can do those things in other ways, as we found out during the pandemic. Um, I think the discussion then is, okay, looking at the task, the people and the uh, and the context they're working in, is it absolutely necessarily that everyone has to go into an office or can we do some of this remotely? I think also if you're looking at tasks, uh, so I'm, I know you're a writer guy, I, I do a fair amount of writing. Writing when you're in a noisy office is almost impossible. Certainly for me, I'm an introvert as well. So I, I like my own space. Um, and I like, uh, you know, being able to just sit back and think, to be perfectly honest. Now, I, I have to confess, I was never a home worker prior to the pandemic. But it's kind of been a bit of a, of a revelation to me um, as to, you know, actually, it's, it's an environment I can adapt that means that I can be very productive when I'm doing things like writing. But if I, if I want to meet somebody for a cup of coffee, yeah, I'm probably going to go into the office to socialise and and talk about talk about work, bump into people, because that is kind of the gold standard. And all of the other digital options that we have, and to be frank, digital is probably our common ground here. They're not quite as good, but they are workable. And if given the choice between flying around the world to have a meeting with somebody or doing it virtually, I probably choose the latter now for the, the sake of the planet as well as everything else. You just reminded me of um, the uh, when I first went freelance, this would be about the mid-90s somewhere, I got asked if I could come and do a shift writing news for Computing Magazine, which, of course, was a very busy office, everybody on the phone the whole time. And I spent the first half an hour, having been uh, home working for a year or so, I spent the first half an hour sitting there waiting for a bit of hush until somebody came and asked me what the blazes I thought I was doing just sitting there because I just got so used to this quiet and uh, typing. It's a different mindset. I, I wonder, though, is there a generational divide about this? I mean, Christoph, if we're talking about flexible working, but particularly with uh, talking about home working, uh, not everybody can afford a home. It's all very well for me as a middle-aged man to say I can work from home, but I have a home, I have my little home office, uh, my wife can do the same. But, uh, you know, if I were perhaps not even particularly young, people in their early 30s are still living in shared houses or with their parents, it can be an issue, can't it? Yes, that is one aspect, you know, what are the home facilities? And it tends to be the case that the younger workers don't yet have that fancy home or that home office and rather they're sharing or... I didn't say it just... was fancy. I, I live near Croydon. <laughs> I did not say it was fancy. But, uh, Fair enough. Carry on. Fair enough. 
And the other thing is, of course, young people might just have uh, young kids. Uh, what happened during the pandemic is, of course, uh, schools were closed uh, every now and then. And then when you not only have, so you either have flatmates or you have kids around. And that, of course, doesn't make for a perfect work environment at home. Whereas, you know, older workers where the kids are already out of the house, uh, they might have, a, have an advantage there. But even even apart from, you know, home facilities, my impression, oddly enough, is that Young employees or young graduates do value work from home more than older generations, but at the same time, it feels like these younger generations are actually kind of disadvantaged by it. The thing is, if you're just coming out of university and you need to get that on-the-job training, and you know maybe you graduated just before the pandemic and your job started in the first months of the pandemic where everybody's working from home, you just do not get the same onboarding that you would have gotten in person beforehand. So this learning on the job is just harder when you don't have senior colleagues around in the office. And in fact, our study did show that, for example, there was less one-on-one teaching during work from home. And we also saw that employees who had been with the company longer, they actually did manage better during the pandemic. And that was presumably because they already were familiar with you know, company processes and who to contact and how to do and which form to use. Whereas you know, people who just joined, they didn't have that knowledge and it was harder to get it when they were working from home, rather, you know, in the office, you could have just quickly asked somebody or somebody would give you the information in, pa- uh, in passing. So working from home, you're just not able to absorb this informal information as well as when you're in the office. I think that hits young people who are just coming from the university more. Yes, and you do uh, miss that sort of bumping into somebody in the corridor or something and having that informal chat that then opens up a new idea or something. Because uh, although I, I I don't denigrate the uh, uh, the virtual world, I think it's been uh, it was probably a lifesaver for many people during the pandemic. I'd hate to think what would have happened if there'd been a pandemic without all this technology to help us. It does become very transactional. Uh, it does become a sort of you know ask a question, get an answer, and the informal stuff is not quite as it was, regardless of the amount of uh, pub quizzes we all attempted. In the early days. Um, we've already covered flexible working uh, advertised as a benefit. Uh, Christoph, I wonder if you've come across uh, those figures that Nicola was talking about earlier and uh, could comment on them. Yeah, so I do believe most employees value flexibility. I mean, in a, in a very gen- in a general way, if you look at it, perfect flexibility in a way can't make you worse off, right? Because if you prefer the office, you can go to the office. If you pre- prefer to stay at home, you just do that. So in a way, what's the drawback? And yeah, it's true what Nicola mentioned. I also saw another study, a Harvard study, where they were also looking at employees. And some of those were, in fact, willing to work from home for a lower wage than local on-site alternatives. So indeed, some employees are willing to forego a higher wage just to be able to work from home. And indeed, there are opportunities for win-win situations where the firm is sort of saving a bit of salary and the employee gets to work from home, which they prefer. Um, so we shouldn't demonize, you know, work from home or flexible working. But at the same time, we should be honest about sometimes innovation can suffer if you don't have these interactions uh, that you can have in the office. Productivity can suffer. Nicola mentioned these call center studies. My position is that the productivity effects of work from home very much depend on the top on the type of job you have. In a call center, the call center worker doesn't work in a team. They work alone. They call up people to sign them up for new contracts and new policies, you don't need to coordinate with your team. So in that sense, you might as well do it at home. And indeed, those studies show you can work better from home. This is mostly because, as you mentioned, you know, these call centers are very noisy. 
But when we looked at these IT firms where you have large teams of programmers, no single programmer can take care of those large databases and so on. So they need to coordinate. And that is simply easier when you work from home, when you're all in the same room. And just based on the data, we see it does work better when they do it from the office. Okay, I'm sure there are some called uh, contact centers where they do uh, benefit from uh, a bit of buzz and a bit of uh, swapping ideas around. But uh, I take what you, uh, you I, I do take your point. Um, I do wonder, though, um, Nicola, home working is one thing or flexible working is one thing I should say, because you're quite right to point out this is not all just about the home. But managing people you can't see is another. We're talking about the uh, people who are doing the work at the moment. We're talking about the foot soldiers, if you like. But how do you adapt to manage people you can't see? Well, that is the big challenge. I think management have been you know, placed in the spotlight very firmly throughout the pandemic, to be perfectly honest. And we actually did, as part of our research uh, interviews with, oddly enough, contact centre managers. Um, and I, I would I would also say contact centre jobs are quite stressful. So that's another reason why sometimes they managing when you can't see tears is is a very big challenge in that particular scenario. But it's quite interesting that managers, particularly during the first few months of the pandemic, actually wanted people back in in, in the, the, the office as soon as possible, frankly, because um, that sort of duty of care they felt they needed to, to be able to manage by walking around and, and see people, not because they didn't trust them, but simply to make sure that they're okay. And I think they got they got a crash course in managing remote teams, didn't they, uh, throughout the pandemic. And most of them, to be honest, rose, rose to that occasion really, really well. I think doing interviews a year on, we then got a lot of anxieties around, well, okay, so we know how to manage remote teams now. We know how to manage fully co-located teams. What we don't know is how to manage a hybrid team. And again, those proximity biases were one very big thing. You know, do they, if they're co-located with their team, are they giving them preferential treatment? I always say managing by walking around is a very, very it's a long taught management uh, trope, isn't it? Um, how do you do that when you're zooming around? Obviously, other platforms are available, but um, but it's a big challenge for leaders, I think. And uh, to Christoph's point about things like, um, you know, younger people, they don't necessarily have the social networks at work. And I, I mean, sort of connections between people rather than Facebook, but um, or in their case, probably TikTok. But um, th- those things that those networks are really valuable. Now, you can build networks digitally. I think one of the things that we're seeing, certainly for future leadership and future employees generally, is, is actually our ability to network is really important, particularly as we are moving. I think hybrid is going to be the model that we're not going to all be co-located. We're not all going to be at home. There is going to be a big mix. Um, so that ability to network is a really, really key skill. Now, firstly, for leaders, they need to be able to connect people together. I call them perfect party hosts. So you need a purpose, you need a platform, and you need to be able to to be very good at introducing people who are potentially those serendipitous encounters how do you do those actually intentionally so it can't just be bumping into people in a corridor it needs to be hey you should be talking to them because they they've got an interesting perspective that might be really interesting for you so leaders need to be perfect party hosts but i think equally so do employees in a hybrid uh, situation as well I, I guess there's good news and bad news on this to be honest most people are very bad at networking. I would include myself in this. The good news is it's a skill 
so certainly we've been discussing, you know, whether we whether we start building networking as a skill into things like graduate programs or apprenticeship programs, because they're our future leaders. They're, they're, that's one of the key skills that they're going to need in order to, to rise up and be incredible leaders of the future. So, yeah, I think that there's there's a lot of focus on management. I think certainly you know, hybrid working disrupts a lot of the um, conventional management models. It's very easy for managers to say, hey, I want everyone back because it makes their job a lot easier. Doesn't necessarily mean that their employees are going to say yes and run back to the office, as I believe Elon Musk may have found out as well. Well, so far he has. Uh, but um, something I'm interested in, I'd like to use this as a sort of closing thought before I ask you for both the contact details, uh, is, uh, of course, this winter of all winters, uh, we're going to have a cold snap and uh, we have the cost of living crisis. Heating is going up an absolute, you know, by, by degrees. It's going, sorry, heating in degrees, bad joke in there. But the, the costs are going to could be astronomical. The thing about home working is that you do have to pay for your own heating. I'm wondering if you're anticipating that that'll have any effect. Or perhaps, Nicola, you could start us off. We've certainly seen that, certainly uh, before the pandemic in particularly hot countries like Singapore, where people have to cool their houses, we did see that um, that potentially they would want to come back in the office. There are a lot of other cultural drivers there. But I think what we're, we're finding at the moment is that people are becoming quite savvy around the cost of commute versus cost of heating. So if you've got an expensive season ticket into London um, uh, that you're paying, actually, you may be paying an awful lot more than you would if you stayed at home and heated your house. So I think that that's that's the first thing. I think the second thing is homeworking is always regarded as a green option. But as you said, actually, there have been some studies showing that it's not it's the probably the worst one for the climate um, hybrid because you're heating, lighting, cooling houses, heating, lighting, cooling offices, and you have some level of commuting in between as well. So that there are all sorts of things to take into account. So, I mean, you can look at certainly obviously making offices much more carbon neutral, potentially looking at incentivizing or putting stipends in for home workers uh, to, incent- to either incentivize them to go for greener energy options, not necessarily cheaper at the moment, but of course, you know, good for the, the environment or, you know, indeed give them money towards their heating, lighting costs. Um, and then the, the commute, I think, is an interesting one around, can you start to get um, a lot of the co-working discussions at the moment are around well, rather than having a two-hour commute into an urban location if you don't want to work from home is there another you know cyclable or walkable option that's on a high street or somewhere near you or indeed if you look at some of the uh, stuff that's going on by the Irish government and their rural working manifesto could you nip down to the local pub to work for the day um, the poffice as I like to call that one um, my preference is the coffice because I, I run on coffee but um, but you know there are lots of options that we need to think about when we obviously have an energy crisis, but frankly, we also have a, an allied climate crisis and we do need to think about the planet as well. Point taken. Christoph, any perspectives on that? So I agree. Uh, the trade-off is yeah, commuting is very costly. So it's not just, so it's not clear whether work from home is cheaper or actually uh, going to the office is cheaper. Another thing is that if we think more long-term, the possibility of work from home or flexible working might actually affect where you live. So it used to be that if you're required to be in the office every day, you might live closer to city centers, which might have higher house prices, higher rents, but then also a shorter commute. But now if you don't have to commute every day, you might just decide to uh, to live elsewhere so that you can actually save on rent, for example. And then if we think this even further ahead, uh, firms might uh, react to this and say, okay, if our remote workers 
live in an area that is cheaper because of rents or because you know general if you live outside of london all all, all sorts of other costs are lower uh, maybe we pay our remote workers less because they have lower costs isn't that fair so we might start to see some of that and then of course some workers might actually prefer that you know being allowed to to work from home and then live maybe in the country closer to their parents or something like that and apparently in the us uh, there are some firms which already do something like that so i, I heard stories of some silicon valley firms uh, who normally have to pay their uh, employees a lot so that they can afford to live locally in san francisco but now during the pandemic uh, they were all working uh, remotely and then some of them moved uh, maybe to another state, maybe into some village where rent prices are considerably lower. And so they did pay those remote workers less. And that might actually be a win-win situation. Um, so there are some chances with respect to flexible working. Okay, there are other counterexamples, I'm sure. I, I know one uh, case where somebody uh, got a job during the pandemic and uh, they were in Brighton and the job was in London. They then decided to move to Birmingham and are now claiming that it's discriminatory to insist they come into the office one day a week when, of course, that was the deal. That was always going to be the deal, but the reality is slightly different. I think we could probably discuss this uh, absolutely forever, but uh, it, it's a fascinating topic. Thank you both for taking part. We are running out of time now. Uh, so finally, could you let me know where people can find out about you and what you what you do uh, Christoph? so on the university of essex website you can find an overview of my research and the study that i mentioned on work from home with my co-authors uh, has a nice accessible summary on the university of chicago website I, and i can give you the link that's fabulous i'll make sure that uh, goes into the uh, the program notes and nicola I do occasionally blog on bt.com. Um, we've got links to white papers there as well, but actually probably the best way to uh, to find out what I'm doing is to either link in with me, uh, come come on to Twitter if it still exists uh, next week, or or indeed I, I've just I've just hopped onto Mastodon as well. So uh, you, you can find me all over the place, basically. That's great. Uh, Dr. Nicola Millard of BT and Professor Christoph Seamroth of the University of Essex. Thank you. Thank you. And many thanks to you for listening. That was the Near Futurist podcast with me, Guy Clapperton, and my guests in the latest in the series of Dividing Lines, sponsored by Diffusion PR. Don't forget to have a look at the website at nearfuturist.co.uk, leave a review on iTunes, or come along and have a look at the LinkedIn group. I'll be back soon. This has been a Clapperton Media Associates production.